Hello and welcome to another episode of the Folklore Podcast Book Club, where we talk with authors of books with folklore content or interest about their work. The Folklore Podcast Book Club is part of the Folklore Network. All of our episodes can be found in the sound archives of the Folklore Library and Archive, a volunteer-run organisation with a goal to collect, save and preserve folklore material for future researchers. You can find out more at www.folklorelibrary.com. I'm Mark Norman, folklore author and researcher and the creator of the Folklore Podcast. In this episode of the book club, I speak with authors Nydia Hetherington and Molly Aitkin about their novels A Girl Made of Air and The Island Child, respectively. Both are fiction books which contain much folklore. Manx Law in Nydia's case, and Irish in Molly's. We spoke recently about the processes which each of them used to create their works, and the interest and crossover into the world of folklore that they both have. So, Nydia and Molly, welcome onto the Folklore Podcast Book Club. It's lovely to have you both here. Ah, thank you for having us. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. So, before we start a proper and talk about your books and the content thereof let's just learn a little bit about yourselves first and in the interests of fairness let's go uh, by alphabetical library shelving order um, seeing as you're both authors so molly we will start with you who are you what do you do uh, so I'm a novelist and short story writer um, from Ireland, which you might be able to hear from my voice. Um, and I live in Sheffield at the moment. Um, and my interest in folklore, I mean, I think it started from birth, really. Um, my mother always told me folk tales and fairy tales and myths as well, Greek myths generally. Um, so they were all kind of like woven into uh, my being, as it were, and they're just part of life. Um, and so when I came to writing, it just sort of made sense that they would be there. I didn't really think about it. Um, it was just like a, something that bubbled up, I suppose. And it was almost other people who kind of mentioned how folkloric my writing was rather than me really realizing it myself which I think is like maybe common for writers that you later on realize what you were doing <laughs> but in the process of writing it it's just kind of you're going there um and yeah I, I studied um classics at university so I sort of have a background as well in Greek and Roman folklore you might say but mythology as well so that that is always present in my writing as well and then um because I'm Irish, Catholicism and the Bible. <laughs> it's, it's hard to escape. <laughs> Although I'm not religious myself, but um, yeah, it, it's it's always present in what I do as well. So all these kind of stories come together in, uh, in my work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's certainly the case, isn't it, with a lot of fiction authors that people suddenly go, oh, you're working with folklore in, in this amazing way. And, and, and you go, oh, am I? And, and, because it was not necessarily the intent at the beginning. You know, those of us that write you know boring old non-fiction know that we're doing that but it's a bit different with fiction isn't it Nadia how about you so um I came to it I think again through just being a child and it just being the thing that um absorbed me the most 
So I lived, um, I was born just outside Liverpool and then as a very small child, I lived on the Isle of Man. And if you know anything about the Isle of Man, you'll know about the fairies because it is um, dripping with fairies on that island. And as a very small child, I became really obsessed by the fairies. I mean, properly obsessed, not just a little bit, to the point where f- that I had a fairy who was my friend, who would I, I would go round with. And then when we, um, and so everything was to do with the fairies. And I heard a lot of the folk tales from some of the older guys, because I'm, I'm sort of getting on a bit now. So when I was a little girl, like so with some really old Manx men that still lived there who still spoke Manx as their first language yeah and uh were still very much steeped in the sort of lore of the land as it were you know the folklore of the land um so I heard lots of those stories and when we left the island to go and live in the industrial north Leeds where I actually grew up from the age of about five um I just took them with me and I took the fairies with me and I said to my mum, you know, it'll be all right because I've got my, my the, fair, the fairies coming with me, you know. And so when I was a little girl then growing up and we went to the library to get books, I did all the Lang's um, coloured fairy tale books. They were massively important to me as a little girl. Um, and exactly as Molly says, when you start writing, so I come, I'd started doing theatre when I was young. So my, my way into writing was through theatre. And I did theatre right up until about um, 15 years ago. Um, and a lot of my work in theatre came through um, folklore. One of the first ever things I did was based on um, Welsh, um, Welsh Celtic myths, um, the Olwyn the Olwyn stories. Um, so it's just always been there. It's just always filtered through. There was never a thought process of I'm going to write things based on folklore and fairies and folk stories. It was just the thing that absorbed me most. I am, of course, legally obliged to bring up at this point the fact that if we're talking about Manx law, you have to have some affinity with Jeff the Talking Mongoose. <laughs> Jeff the Talking Mongoose. <laughs> I, I don't have any affinity with Jeff, but uh... oh, that's he—he is—he is one of my favourite pieces of Manx folklore, and and a lot, I know a lot of other people's as well. <laughs> I, I don't have him in my book. In my my books are um, my books are all mainly the Sophia Morrison books and the A.W. A.W. Moore, I think he was called. And he he yeah. was, a, he was. I mean, Sophia Morrison is the big one who took all down all the oral, you know, tales from the old Manx folks. But A.W. Moore got more into the actual lore rather than the stories. Mm. You know, and that, and so, so a lot of the stuff that I've used in my book, which we'll come to later, comes from the A.W. Moore stuff. Mm. It, it is very rich as you say the same as Ireland is of course as well very rich in, in that kind of folkloric background but let, let's come to your book as you mentioned your book at this point so so yes um, let, let's start with yours then Nydia um, tell us a little bit about Girl Made of Air so Girl Made of Air um, is it's a, so the essential narrative is a young child a baby is born in a circus in like a flea pit circus in the south of England just after the war she is rejected by her circus um, performing parents and sort of runs feral around the circus but is brought up 
by this amazing figure called Serendipity Wilson, who is from the Isle of Man. Um, she becomes the tightrope walker in the circus. So she teaches the child the tightrope, the, the, the art of phenambulism, but also imbues the child's life with the stories she was told as a child on the island. Um, now, it's important to note that Serendipity Wilson is a kind of magical figure. Um, she is supposedly, let's say, that the direct a direct descendant of Manmanan MacLear, who was the ancient sea god who created the Isle of Man. So she has kind of magic around her. Um, then, to not do spoilers or anything, it's really hard not to do. Um, mm. A child is lost from the circus, and our narrator, who is the funambulist, as she grows up. Um, she feels so much guilt about, you know, the, the loss of this child that she spends the rest of her life looking for the child and it takes her to New York. So that's your narrative. That's your basic narrative, which is a, a really long way around uh, uh, um, telling about the story. The book is really a story about stories. It's about yes, yes. how we inherit stories, how we then um, reconcile ourselves with the stories we've inherited and then how we pass them on and then how we create our own stories which then go on to be passed on that's really what the story is about and of course the narrative is tied together with folk tales essentially in, in between each section as well isn't it and we'll, we'll return to that perhaps in a minute and out of interest you chose to not narrate, uh, not name your narrator other, other than by her nickname in the circus if you like um, does she actually have a name in your head or did you consciously decide, I don't want that at all? She, I consciously, she, she absolutely does not have a name. Um, and it's a really important thing that she doesn't have a name. And um, I've always said to readers, you know, you can make your mind up for yourselves why I don't name her, why she isn't named, but I know the reason why she's not named. Mm. You know, I mean, I can tell you it's not a secret. The, re- <laughs> the, the reason is simply that she's not wanted. She is not named. She is never given a name. She doesn't have a name. That, that I mean, um, she really needs, she needed to be a real outsider. You know, she, she's born in a circus. She, she's already an outsider. So she needed to be more of an outsider. You know, so she doesn't even have a name. That's how outside she is. <laughs> circuses are quite rich in their own kind of lore if you like as well but but you don't particularly draw on that do you no I don't I mean I I just felt that um although it's a world that I'm really interested in because I come from a performance a physical performing background and I've worked a lot with circus performers um I didn't want to throw too much at it you know, there's already a lot of sort of um, folklore in there within the Manx stuff. And, you know, I sort of skim around some of the circus stuff with the, the sort of circus history without going too much into sort of the fables and things. Because it's a very fabulous place, you know, um, just because I didn't want to throw too much at it. You know, it's, it, as a first novel. I think I don't know what you think, Molly, but I think um, often you just kind of attempted to throw everything at at it you know because you've never done yeah. this before right and you just want to get exactly. everything in and, I, and then you have to go and take it out again, <laughs> <laughs> again. yeah exactly and so I was a little bit scared of um just throwing everything at it yeah 
yeah and you have to save some as well for for the next book <laughs> absolutely yeah 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 <laughs> i i've really enjoyed both of these novels they're both very very evocative of of the places and the people that 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 um make up their narratives but in very very different ways i think as well molly tell us about um the island child so the island child tells two stories um it's about a young girl una growing up on a tiny island off the west coast of ireland not far from galway and um she lives in a quite uh, religious community she's brought up by her very strict catholic mother um but outside her there's this kind of village community that have uh you know belief in the fairies and um you know sea folklore and um she meets this young boy and uh, his wild mother and through them she kind of um finds a way to escape or sort of longs to escape um and it also tells the story of her much older uh searching for her lost daughter and yeah and then the two come together and they're also interwoven with a kind of uh folk tale or myth that combine them yeah tell us a little bit about both of you the kind of research process that went into those aspects of the book i mean you you, you both say that that you're not particularly setting out with these novels to go hey i'm going to use folklore but the, but then you absolutely do um so how much of that was a kind of natural evolution of the writing process and and how much did you have to go off and research and how did you do that um for me i i just started writing it and i think it was after the first draft that I went and sort of looked at the specific folk tales relating to the islands around Ireland, specifically the Aran Islands um, and the Blas Blasca as well. And I was really lucky actually because um, a lot of islanders started writing down their stories. In Ireland, the tradition is sort of like you go to the pub and everyone tells their stories there. And that's how they evolve and change and then travel. And for a long time, no one really ever wrote them down. Um, and that's where I heard stories as well. My mom would take me, she'd sing, which I found terribly embarrassing. <laughs> but I would then listen to the old old men and old women telling their stories. Um, uh, but luckily, anyway, the, the islanders in the kind of mid 20th century started to write down their stories because they realized they could make money. Um, and one of the kind of more famous storytellers was Peg Sayers. Um, so I drew a lot on um, her tales. Now, originally they would have been in Gaelic and uh, you can read them in Gaelic and they have been translated as well, which is lucky because <laughs> they're, they're wonderful stories actually. Um, but I also had some kind of interesting things where like I would write um, like a kind of folklore element to the story uh, one example is I kind of make mention of the sea fairies and I didn't remember ever being told about them but later when I started researching there they were and I don't know if that happened to you Nadia but it, like, it does it's really weird it yeah. becomes this weird organic thing absolutely yes exactly almost almost exactly the same thing happened yeah mm -hmm. 
it's fascinating that I think either I was told or it's just all kind of like in in the culture or you know you kind of just see it seeps into you I think these kind of things and then they come out without you realizing where you got those stories from you kind of soak Um, them up don't you I mean I I had a very similar experience so um my my first research was really all about the circus because when I first started writing the book I was writing about um a girl born in the circus and the whole Manx thing came in by accident completely came in by accident so I did loads and loads of research about the circus was absolutely terrified that I wouldn't be able to do it because my knowledge wasn't um you know wasn't good enough you know I didn't know enough so I read every single book about the circus including like all the history of the circus from Philip Astley and everything but then I ended up really not writing about that and um one of the first chapters I wrote was the birth and origins of Serendipity Wilson this Manx character and um I just I wrote it I actually wrote it on on a double-decker bus on top of a bus it just came to me and I had my notebook in my hand and we were in a traffic jam um and it took me I was in um West Norwood and I was only going to Brixton but because the traffic jam was so bad I don't know you know that area of London it's, it's a really short walk I could have walked it the traffic was so bad I was on the bus for about two hours but I just sat and I wrote this thing about the origin of Sarah Dupity Wilson and the whole Manx thing like you said I kind of poured it into it it just came out naturally and then I thought well when I get home I'm going to look this up because I'm not sure so when I got back some hours later um I looked it up and it all made complete sense it's like um the hair thing was there because she was a descendant of Maman and Matlia who had a daughter called Neef of the golden hair so that was then everything tied into it perfectly and I think that's exactly what you say Molly it's it's maybe these things I did know about them when I was much much younger and you've just soaked them up and and as soon as you tap into that sort of creative pool in your mind it just kind of kind of project itself onto the page yeah, yeah, and it was after that I thought, right, I know what I want to do with this now. She is going to be. I want, I want to put those folk, and and it was just like I want to put those folk tales in there, those old Manx tales. I really want her to tell them. And so then I went back to this. Um, so I always call her Sophia Morrison, but I think it's Sophia, Sophia Morrison books. Which um, so Sophia Morrison is very, very famous in the Isle of Man for um, for keeping fire burning for the Manx language and for keeping the folk tales and the fairy tales alive she basically went around the end of the 19th century and um collected mainly from old manxmen uh, i say men because they you know they were men um these little tales and they're written um you know you know um as they were told so some of them are only two sentences long you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, they put a tram tree in the garden and a fairy came and that's why they garden because the fairies protect you, you know, and, and it's and that's your story. And that's your folktale, mm. you know. And so the, it's because some of them are so short that that actually makes them very rich for a retelling, you know, because yeah. you, you can put so much into that. You can just run with that. And then, like I said, there is a, another 
um, folklorist um, called A.W. Moore, who did a lot of work about the folklore of the island. Um, and I just read and read and read everything that those particular people did. But then I had like an old book um, um, from the island that I had as a little girl, which is a Manx fairy tale book. And um, I went and, and I went back to that and I just soaked myself up in them and 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 yeah and got myself ready for a retelling I suppose mm. it's interesting that thing of I think there's almost like a synchronicity around it as well where um you kind of realize things at the right moment and they all seem to kind of come to you I I was taught by um Faye Weldon when I did my master's in creative writing and she spoke about this kind of like well of knowledge and she, I was like worrying about the research and I, I was like you, I read like all the books I could find and, you know, I got everything that was out of print. And um, she was like, don't bother Molly. <laughs> she, was, she was like, there is this well of knowledge and you will connect to it and, you know, find the stories when they like need to come to you. And yeah, I definitely had that experience in a few cases as well. Like, um, for a while that my story wasn't working and then I kind of realized that there was a parallel between um, the myth of Demeter and Persephone and that kind of mother-daughter um, that mother-daughter kind of dynamic and so I, I then kind of redrafted and wrote it with that as the kind of main thread um, and it was only later then that I remembered this very similar folk tale from Ireland um, about Una, Queen of the Fairies, and she was also a mortal taken by the King of the Fairies, who's kind of similar to um, Hades in the Demeter Persephone myth. And then she has to live as Queen of the Fairies in Tyrion and Oak. Um, and so then I could like draw that in as well. Um, but that was like a complete surprise to me. Like I wasn't expecting that parallel to be there, but these things kind of crop up. Um, I also did a thing which isn't really related to folklore at all, but I wrote this kind of shipwreck scene and I kind of dated it and had like all these specific details. And then later I read about a shipwreck that had happened at the same, like same date or was exactly like the same month. Um, and it was really similar. So yeah, there's, there's some kind of like magic within that. Where, it does get spooky, yeah. doesn't it? I found lots yeah. of little things kept happening to me when I was writing A Girl Made of Air. Um, all, all exactly like you say, it's just like you, you write something and you try and piece it together and then something comes along and it's already there, you know? And yeah, it, it's so interesting. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's a good point. This actually, and and just going back to what you said, Molly, there from from Faye Weldon's advice on on this well of knowledge. Do you think, both of you, that the the fact that there there is this kind of concept, isn't there? Whether you take the kind of Jungian psychological approach or you don't, that stories folk stories and folklore particularly resonate with us because we have this kind of subconscious folk memory of things from way back um and and these symbols and archetypes just sort of are meaningful to us because of that and that's why we find these coincidences or not coincidences or, or meaningful things in these stories do you think that's the case i i think my, I think my 
it's really interesting you say that. A girl made of is really about this, you know, I think, mm. you know, digging into that. How much um, are these inherited stories um, just in the ether and just something that we breathe and, you know, that sort of, um, you know, they're part of our human story. They're part of the way that human beings have borne witness to life, to their lives, the way they have made sense of their lives. And so they're just sort of, they just ooze in the ether around and we just breathe them in and then, you know, spit them out again. Um, and how much of it do we mould ourselves? Um, I would say that I'm somebody who has, for most of their lives, not believed in anything and just thought everything was completely random. I've always called myself an atheist and all that kind of stuff. Now, since I've been writing which is probably going on about almost 10 years now. Um, I've got deeper into different things and it's cert I'm certainly not a mystic or anything like that. And I'm not a Jungian either, but I'm more open to believe that um, the human experience is more shared through things like folklore and folktales than I ever did, you know, years ago. Um, yeah, I, I, it's an, I don't know the answer. I don't know what I believe, but I think it's an interesting thing to explore. And that's mm. something I, I definitely wanted to explore when I was writing my first novel. I think none of us know the answer no, <laughs> particularly <laughs> and, and can't. Um, but it's quite interesting that this, this kind of Jungian approach is now largely becoming discredited by the psychology community and the academic community and yet it still seems to become more and more resonant in terms of everyday life doesn't it what do you think molly i mean i i'm like nadia i i sort of for a long time was like I, i'm an atheist but through studying classics um and mythology specifically you can't help but seeing the similarities in certain stories from places that could probably never have ever been in contact. So for some reason, we're telling very similar archetypal stories wherever we are. Um, and and maybe that's just because there's something universal about, you know, motherhood or growing up or, or all these things. And, and or maybe we're looking for for similarities. Maybe mm. that's the thing as well. Mm. I think it's, um, it's but yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I think I, okay. it's the human experience, isn't it? And it's like, the, like I was saying, I think the stories bear witness to human experience. And human experience is I, I, absolutely universal. We all grieve. We all feel loss. Yes. You know, we all have um, an experience, you know, of being a, a child and growing up and the relationships we have with parents or non-parents or you know these these are universal themes and um i think these stories whether they be you know folk folk stories fairy stories you know they are there like you say from you know from whether it be from africa from the isle of man you know celtic whatever uh, uh um to help us make sense of of the of life and these feelings, mm. you know, and I genuinely think they, they are universal. I wonder how much these stories ended up shaping your narratives 
whether or not you realize that they do because you use them in very different ways so so Nydia, for example you have these stories tying together your narrative now did you find that your narrative naturally shaped and then you went i must look for a story that fits that or did you end up using stories through serendipities mouth if you like and then going actually i must now rewrite bits of my narrative because this story is so evocative um so it was a bit of both if i'm honest so i found a whole load of uh, uh fairy stories which i thought i'd like to rewrite and i just rewrote them so i had a pool of them and i rewrote rewrote them in serendipity wilson's voice um knowing that i wanted to use them to knit the whole narrative of the book together. That's exactly what I wanted to do. So there were bits of the book where it just worked perfectly and, and Serendipity's voice was just leading. So I could choose one of the, 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 the stories that I'd rewritten in her voice and just say, well, this is perfect. You know, just she's leading this. And there were other bits where nothing would fit. So I had to change the book to fit the stories because otherwise I could have been writing, you know, stories in serendipity wilson's voice from i love man i could have had piles and piles and piles and piles of them and just never stop just to find the right one so it was a bit of both um the narrative was both shaped by the stories and the opposite was true mm. uh, molly yours is slightly different in so much as the that kind of uh folktale element or, or social history is behind the entire narrative of island life quite naturally so did you find bits just kind of suddenly slotting themselves into your narrative or or did they influence you and and you end up going i must change this again i think it was a bit of both i mean because island life particularly at that time set in right the 60s uh, less so now, sadly. Um, but the beliefs that people had in the fairies was kind of woven into everyday life. And so I didn't think about it because it had kind of been woven into my life as well. You know, like my school teacher told me about the day he met the banshee one morning. Like, you know? and, and so it was similar for for writing that. It was just there. Um, and that that is how they perceived the world. Uh, and how they explain the world um but then because I have this kind of little strand of a, a folktale or, or myth going through it as well uh that was something that kind of came to me later on and I ended up writing it on my phone in these like little snippets at night <laughs> when I was kind of bleary and it it then ended up kind of going in the book even though I didn't expect it to and sort of um shaping the book in a way and um but similarly like I did change it later on to to make sure that the story uh, made sense and that like it had a proper narrative structure because otherwise again it could have gone on forever <laughs> I can't yeah. just let this one slide by I'm afraid um so your school teacher <laughs> tells you of the time that they met the banshee yeah. <laughs> and what do you make of that at the time well, I believed it, and uh, I was terrified. That was a very what, 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 what would, what did they make of it? What, what were they telling you? Were they telling you, 
a story for a purpose in the way that folklore often tells stories for a purpose. Keep away from this dangerous place. Don't do this immoral act, whatever it is. Why was that story being told to you? Do you know, I honestly can't remember. I was quite young. I think I was eight. But um, he, he, I remember him, the teacher being actually quite scared and and speaking of it as a, an experience that he didn't enjoy mm. and yeah and it was it was a kind of warning maybe a kind of beware of strangers because he was on the road on his own and he saw her kind of you know sitting on the wall up the road brushing her her hair um so yeah I, I think it was maybe a warning of stay away from strangers mm. possibly but but I also got the impression that he fully believed that she was a banshee you know um so stay away from banshees maybe maybe (laughs) (laughs) i mean belief in in ireland is still very strong in a lot of cases anyway isn't it did you find that when you were looking into this um yes yes and but again it was just something that was always there um like i i would speak to people and they would tell me a story of a fairy that they'd met and but they would still go to church on a Sunday and I think what I always found so fascinating was that people had these two very different kind of beliefs happening at the same time which is what the book is about in some ways um these very different approaches to life um and and so that's what I explore the kind of the strictness of Catholicism and the rigidness and um how women are treated within that which is not respectfully um and then and then the kind of more wilder freer nature side of things which is comes through in the folklore yeah i found it really interesting when looking at the the manx folklore as well that um a lot of these like short little um stories told verbatim um were interwined with christianity so you get stories of a fairy but um you know within that there'll be a child has no name because they haven't been baptized or the only way to um to get rid of the fairy island is to put a bible on it you know so they so so these really old traditional you know stories then change you know as christianity becomes more and more important you know, it's 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 such a strange one to see those two worlds knitted together because you know they don't really belong together at all. But then again, yeah. you know, they're all stories, aren't they? They're all they're all folklore. Christian stories are all folk. It's all mythology. It's all folklore. So I suppose they do belong together. Yeah, although yeah. the the Christian ones are sort of distant and set in lands that we've never yeah. been to, whereas the folk tales are very rooted in our own Absolutely. landscape. I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, And belief is a very important part um, of both stories for for different reasons, particularly, I guess, in the island child. I mean, Una's mother. uh, Oh, I had issues. with. (laughs) I think everyone does. (laughs) (laughs) She she must have been an interesting character to write. Yeah. In the beginning, when I was writing, I actually wrote her quite nice and then I realized that nothing was happening in the story (laughs) so um yeah she she changed quite quickly and I think what's quite sad about her she comes from a 
quite different background to her daughter Una. She's from the mainland and she hasn't really grown up in the same way with these sorts of beliefs. She's very uh, rigidly in Catholicism and that is it for her. So, and that has really restrained her and um, yeah, made her not free in the same way as her daughter is looking for. Yeah, but she, she was fun to write. I mean, you know, people like that, are, like bad, bad in inverted commas characters are quite fun to write. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, Girl Made of Air is, is, is not without its bad in inverted commas characters either, is it really, I suppose? No, no, no. It's got some nasty, nasty, nasty people in it. But um, I, I'm, some some people have asked me if I've tried to excuse people's nastiness by giving them, you know, backstories which kind of might um, explain away their feelings. But I'm not trying to excuse anybody from anything. I just think um, there's often a reason. Like, you know, you're saying about, you know, uh, Una's mother grew up on the mainland and she's just completely uh, um, absorbed by Catholicism you know I mean that's why she is the way she is there's always a reason there's always a reason good or, for good or bad there's always a reason for people's bad behavior I'm going to put you both on the spot uh, uh, I think you're, you're both very familiar with each other's books I know um, what is it about the other person's book for you that you think oh this this is really a good way of using this kind of material to tell stories I must steal that idea no <laughs> you don't you don't have to do the idea stealing bit <laughs> you, you know what We'd I mean never admit to that <laughs> no 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 uh Molly you start oh I, th- I think what I just love the most is that it's oral and it is told in the way folk tales would be told um and it, it has that traditional feeling because the characters are telling their stories um and i actually listened to the audiobook which i think is a lovely way to do it because that it gives you even more of that sense of being told a story by the fireside or or you know maybe you're the journalist like in another story who's listening to this and kind of taking it down and that as an experience as a reader I think is is becoming like more unique these days we don't get novels written in that way anymore and so that's what I really loved it felt like I was being told a story Mm. Uh, Nadia what what about the island child worked for you in that way oh well I mean it was so these parallels um which I absolutely got when I was reading it of the Una the fairy and the the fairy queen and um, uh, and the Persephone and Demeter sort of myth. I mean, I I, I completely got that when I was uh, reading it. But you are never ever ever slapped around the head with it. They they mm-hmm. they are it, it, you know if you're interested in, in, in mythology and folklore they're there and you will find it but it's never sla- you're never slapped around the head with it. Um, it was also the way that I mean the island is so so beautifully wrought in in your book as well. This kind of liminal space which I'm really really interested in 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 sort of writing about and it and and um, reading about sort of these liminal spaces and these like sealed communities 
you know, uh, and 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 how within that sealed community, how these these myths and stories grow like wildfire. You know, mm. it was. It's, I always describe it as like a pressure cooker. Like yeah. there isn't any escape almost, so everything starts to like get really tense which is great as a storyteller it's great as a storyteller and worked so well so so you know none of that was all of that I was alive to all of that as it was reading and I know at the moment there's an awful lot of um certainly Greek myths being retold you know and, and some of them are wonderful and some great writers are writing and they're beautifully done and everything but I get a little bit sick of them to be honest and uh, you know it's like oh another retelling of another Greek myth but what I loved about your story is it was Una's own story and and her mother's story and all the characters you know uh, uh, um, it was their story but told through the prism of you know this the Irish folklore and the Greek the Greek myth and that's what I loved. But I think that's something that we both do as in the characters are kind of understanding their own lives through this prism as you say of like folklore and story and through that they can kind of heal themselves and and heal what's happened to them heal their traumas and maybe that is something of why we are all kind of attracted to folklore because there's a kind of process of and maybe this is Jungian I don't know I'm, I'm not a Jungian but you kind of go through the process with the character as well and kind of get some sense of of yeah relief or or healing possibly and if you he have you've experienced it you've learned something i think healing is a really really good word especially for the island child because you feel that she is on a journey of healing throughout through throughout the book you know mm -hmm. and i think it's a, that's and and, de and and i agree with my book as well girl Medivere, there is a, a sort of it's a healing process i didn't think of it at the time but definitely i see it now yeah yeah great thank you i mean writers can sometimes be terribly modest about their own books so having the opportunity to be able to draw information out of each other's actually works really well so so thank you for that do you think you're both going to continue to use this kind of folkloric material in future work so, so i i think go ahead oh no go ahead molly oh, um i was just gonna say i i can't avoid it even if I try and write something without it, it's it's there. <laughs> um, and I've been writing a historical novel recently set in medieval times, and I sort of was like, I don't, I don't think there's any place for folklore in this. And then it, already it's like seeping in, and and I think it is just that thing that it it's always present for me, and and my book is set in Ireland as well, so. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking that I could escape it. It it just is. It is story to me as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, we'll definitely always write it, e even if I try and avoid it. <laughs> so the same for you. Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, you've said you've you've put it perfectly. Yeah, the same here. Um, I in I'm sort of doing this sort of second big rewrite of the novel that I'm writing at the moment. <clears throat> moment, my second novel, and 
there are quite a lot of folklore elements in there, but it's basically it's based around uh, William something that happened to William Blake and um, amazing. William Blake actually wait. narrates it, even though it um, it's in 1999. <laughs> so that's been that's been interesting to to write. still is interesting to write. Um, and my agent keeps saying to me, mm, I'm not sure about the folklore bits in this. I'm not sure if it's got its place, but it's like exactly what you say. It's really hard for me to take them out because for me, it's everywhere and it's everything. And it it's such a natural, it, what you said was perfect. It is story. It is story. Mm. Who is your agent, my dear? Uh, my, I'm not, <laughs> my, my agent is wonderful, <laughs> I want to say. She's wonderful. She's just uh, uh, um, helping me to redraft. <laughs> I was I was just going to make the point that uh, she should listen to this interview and pay attention to these words. <laughs> the use of I agree, I agree. The use of folklore is important. She's very, very open, and um, I think it's just a matter of we're we're in that really tricky stage of like sculpting everything yes. into a final draft, and it can get quite tricky. And you're just like yeah. you know. Especially as um, you know, you want your book to be published, so <laughs> that's the yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, okay, so you've told us a little bit about your current works in progress. Um, do we know when we are likely to see either of them at this stage, or are we too early to know that? Um, mine, it's probably still too early to know, but within two years, I I would like to say. I have a two book deal, so my publisher is is waiting. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, too too early to know for me. Um, I only had a one book deal for Girl Made of Air, so you know it's a bit of a, a, a funny situation to be in. It's both great because you have you. I've got time, you know, as it were. Mm. I, I I I I don't feel any pressure of time, but at the same. In the same breath, you also think, "Oh wow!" So I'm kind of back at square one in a in a in a in a sort of way. Not really, because you've already got one book published. But so so mm. again, who knows? Hopefully, in the next year, you know, two to three years. Hopefully, yeah. Well, we should look forward to seeing both of them and reading both of them, and then having you both back on here so that we can talk yeah. about both of them again. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, uh, no idea. Um, Molly, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk about your books. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to Nydia and Molly for coming on to the book club to discuss their novels, which you can find at all good bookshops, both on the high street and online. Do grab a copy if you can and enjoy them. The Folklore Podcast Book Club is part of the Folklore Network, striving to collect, save and preserve folklore material in all forms for the future. If you can help to support us in our work, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast, where for as little as a pound a month, you can aid us while receiving additional content to enjoy. Alternatively, visit www.thefolklorepodcast.com to make a one-off donation, or simply share our content with your friends. If you can please leave us a positive review on your podcast app of choice to help others to find our work. Thank you, and see you next time.